I'm sorry, Mr. Hallett. We just don't have any more information to go on. It's been 12 hours since they kidnapped Dave. When are they going to contact us? What do they want? We're just going to have to wait and find out what their demands are. I'll give them anything. Anything they want. I just want my co-host back. I can't do the show without Dave. Hello? Go ahead and talk. We're listening. Mm Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. All right. What is it? Whatever they want, they can have it. Mr. Hallett, they want your whole squad leader collection. Mr. Hallett, did you hear me? It's Kleinschmidt's life or your whole squad leader collection. How long will they give me to think it over? Episode of the Two Half Squads. It's the only podcast dedicated to the greatest game in the world, Advanced, Advanced Squad Leader. Leader. We are your hosts. I'm Jeff, <laughs> and I'm Dave, Jeff's friend and co-host. Yes. Good to see you, Dave. Good to see you, Jeff. We just came out of the holidays. It's uh, January eleventh, yeah, two thousand and ten. Wow. This is our first show of the new year. Yes, it is. And if we're lucky, we're getting this out pretty quick on the heels of another show, which yeah. will cause half of our listenership to have a heart attack. We're going to try to get uh, 52 shows in this year. <laughs> <laughs> no, we're not. We like to go a little over a dozen, right? Every three weeks, if we're lucky. Yeah. Be over a dozen. Yeah. We're doing about 16 shows a year or something like that, 16 or 17, including, well, and plus the extras. So. Oh, yeah, plus the extras, which I'll get back to. I was going to do one last week, and then the game day fell through. Yeah. And a little flu in the house. Uh, oh, nasty. Doug was going to come over, but he's got a baby, so canceled that one. And Well, um, I did an extra, um, and we'll see if we get it posted, but I did one with Rich Spilkey. We played Kamsen, uh, a desert scenario from a um, module that I don't own. So I've <laughs> west wiped of, the name. Yeah, west of Alamein, Alamein. of course. I had, sorry, I had, a, I had a Lafroy moment because... Because... <laughs> because I drank just a little bit of this um, Lafroy Scotch whiskey. Lafroig. Yeah. Well, I don't know if the G is pronounced. We'll have to ask our listeners from Scotland. But boy, this is this is one mossy, peaty. It's not mossy. It's a peaty Scotch. Very cask. It smelled very cask-like. You yeah. Haven't given me a sample it yet. Smells like Jeff. a barnyard. Well, you want to put it in your the big gulp cup there. Pour it right in there. <laughs> After. The, no, I wouldn't. I wouldn't. I'll get you a proper glass in a little while. And so, anyway, we played uh, Camson, which was quite the event. But the sad thing is, you're not sure it makes sense, or I, I'm not sure um, how how well our recording came out. We were actually running into some some humming that actually uh, buzzing in the background that turned out to be power supply from one of the computers was too close to the microphone cables always we didn't realize and i wasn't monitoring through the headphones oh right during the recording so i didn't realize it but i'll see if i can if i can edit that out we'll see all right and i have uh, got the last batch of the acapella 
playtest stuff, and we're going to be talking about that today because we have a short show today. No features whatsoever except yeah. for one huge event. Yes. That I actually got excited about, didn't I, Jeff? You did. I've never seen you so excited. I Dancing. Giggling little happy yeah. boy. We <laughs> we interviewed Chas Argent on this very program. Yeah. It's the pinnacle of our careers. Mm-hmm. The pinnacle. And we thought we had John. Our sorry careers. <laughs> because after that, again, as we say, I think, in the interview, nowhere to go but down. Yeah. Unless we have John Hill, which... He has not replied to our recent emails, so we're hoping I expect we didn't he will, scare him off. Yeah, He's uh, probably on a cruise or something. And we like to also interview Ken Smith, the artist of uh, some journals. Yeah, so. definitely. But tonight is simply Chess Argent. Yeah, so should we stop talking and start talking to Chess? I think at this point we're just wasting everybody's time yeah. by talking. All right. All right, uh, now we have with us uh, Chaz Argent. This is, we've reached the peak of our success here with Chaz, uh, the new hire at MMP, full-time ASLer. Just mean it all goes downhill from here? (laughs) It does. We'll be interviewing like my mom. Yeah. Um, And we're quite excited to have him and uh, privileged. Here we go with the interview. Please, no more groveling. No, stop. (laughs) Uh, Peak or valley, which one man's peak is another man's valley. That's right. So, hi, Chaz. Welcome to the show. Welcome to oh, the Two thanks. Half Squads. Glad to be here. Have you ever heard of the Two Half Squads? <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, I'm a regular fan, so. Oh, good. Oh, you all listen to all your, uh, all your podcasts, so. Oh, thanks. Unlike that lousy guest we had on last week. Oh, yeah, who, had, who only had listened to Doug, one. Doug, yeah. Mm. Yeah, we're never going to have him back. <laughs> so, Chaz, why, are, why did we invite you? <laughs> I have no idea. <laughs> Yes, you do. Oh, yes, we do. Uh, Can you go ahead and give us a little of your gaming history? Sure. Um, You know, originally from the Baltimore area, so, you know, home of Avalon Hill. As when I was growing up, we had a fairly uh, hardcore group of guys who were, you know, not just the war games that Avalon Hill made, but also like, you know, Rail Baron and Diplomacy and all that sort of thing. So, um, just got into playing a lot of the games in high school in particular. In fact, I still have the. Rick Toffin's War and original wooden ships and Iron Man around here somewhere. Can can and you then, tell us what years those were you were in high school? It's like 79 to 82. Okay. So, yeah. yeah. Similar to us. Yeah. Very, very. See, we're all in the same middle-aged boat now. Yes, we are. <laughs> yeah, we are. Uh, and then uh, I think, I can't remember specifically what birthday, maybe my 17th birthday or something, uh, a friend of mine named Jay Queenie gave me um, Crescendo of Doom for a birthday present, and he hadn't occurred to him we hadn't played squad leader at that point uh he didn't he was apparently incapable of actually reading the box which said that you know you had to have squad leader. <laughs> you needed the other things to go with it yeah. yeah exactly so of course we went and bought him up and fell in love with it right away i mean just you know same story as everybody else i'm sure and uh stayed up way too late in my mother's living room when we were supposed to be you know going to school the next morning and smoking way too many cigarettes and pissing her off because she had to go to work and you know, parachute dropping until four in the morning or whatever. So I think through college and, and uh, a little after, you know, everything sort of went into the into storage for a while, didn't really play much. And then uh, I happened to be living in Montgomery, Alabama, of all places, in uh, around 1990. There was a little game store around the corner, and they had, you know, the ASL rules there. I had heard of ASL, but I had never played it. 
So uh, there's not much for a, a Yankee to do in Montgomery, Alabama, on a uh, theater carpenter's uh, paycheck. So I basically bought the rules, you know, rescued all my stuff out of storage from at my mom's house and uh, dragged it down there and, you know, sort of self-taught over the next several months. Of course, it was all wrong because, I mean, when you're playing by yourself, uh, you can't possibly get any of the ASL stuff right. Yeah. Um, but, you know, basically just from there sort of took off and started to go to tournaments, you know, in the late nineties, uh, distinctly remember going to the West coast melee at the Southern California ASL club at like 98 or 99, Mm -hmm. uh, which was the first, first one I'd ever gone to. And then, um, how did, how did you end up going all the way out there to, did you go all the way out there to be in the tournament? I I actually lived in California at the time. So I see. The actual job during this whole period, I was a theater technician, so I was a carpenter. And lately, was a what's known as a technical director, who's the person who's in charge of building the sets for at for the theater companies that you work for. Mm-hmm. Obviously, I, that career is over now that I have this illustrious new career, but it, it was sort of a a single person's you know nomadic existence where I would be in Montgomery, Alabama, one year, and then La Jolla, California, another year, and then. Ashland, Oregon, another year. I mean, just bouncing around from theater to theater. Now, uh, you, you, so you've got you. Dave's eyes are rolling around in his head because you've covered two of his dream jobs. Oh, well, one is to work with a theater company and travel around. Well, and the other would be to work with MMP and play games all day. Okay. Well, I didn't actually travel. I just oh. moved to a place and then stayed oh, there. Oh, I see. To so, where, yeah. where the job was. Yeah, and then uh, when I was going to the Southern California group, I actually stayed in uh, a little town called Santa Maria in California. It's about an hour north of Santa Barbara. So I had an association with the Southern California ASL Club. Okay. And, uh, you know, I was mostly doing, like, play-by-email stuff at that point. I didn't really have any local – there weren't any local guys or any of that. But, you know, you you used to literally set it up on a table and roll your own dice and that whole thing. Um, But then that was the first tournament, and uh, that's what kind of – really got the bug as far as, you know, really loving the tournament scene and, and getting to know a lot of people and the Internet finally uh, showing up on my doorstep and, you know, just being able to reach out from, you know, that sort of little small-town uh, mentality that I was in. And were you playing other games at this time? Or a were few you others. Like- I mean, I, I, I always buy other things with the, the dream that I'm actually going to play them and, for the most part, they sit on my shelf until I put them up on eBay or whatever. Yeah. I think uh, every now and then, you know, we would play some some non-ASL games, but um, who had the time, you know? I mean, if, once you once you sort of get that, get bitten by that bug, I mean, anytime you have the chance to play, you want to you just play ASL anyway, so. Yeah. And then eventually uh, got married in 2000. We moved to Oregon. At that point, uh, you know, the Internet was so prominent as far as websites you could go to and Vazel and that whole thing. Started doing a lot more tournaments. Always had to, had to, had to fly to them because I kind of lived in the middle of nowhere. So I had the, uh, you know, the, the three portage point, uh, ASL kit that I could maneuver through, through airports and on three planes without getting it all crushed and destroyed. Excellent. Uh, yeah. And around 2006, I think talked to Brian Yaus about working on, uh, the action packs, um, so there was some sort of series of posts on what is now Game Squad, which used to just be the ASL forums. I can, it's changed names so many times I can't remember. Yeah, it's called now. Um, but basically, that he was looking for someone to sort of be in charge of them because they they'd all kind of gone stagnant as 
you know, over time, the last few years, at least, a lot of the ASL scene with MMP, just there was nobody really dedicated to dealing with it because they had so much else going on. So that, that's what sort of established the relationship with them. I mean, I had met those guys before at a couple of tournaments or, you know, I'd gone to uh, the World Board Gaming Championships when they were in Maryland. They've now moved to Pennsylvania, but those guys were always at, at that, you know, because they were always hosting the ASL tournament. So that's how I kind of got to know Brian and Perry. And then um, we moved here. We moved back here. I say back because I was away for 19 years uh, in 2007. And I happened to live about 20 minutes from Brian's house. So I started going over to play tests. It used to be every Thursday night. Now it's every Tuesday. And just became a regular there. So we, you know, they kind of got to know me and what I could do and what I was interested in. And, you know, I think uh, over the last couple of years, the idea sort of got floated about having a person who was a developer. I mean, their other game lines all have a full-time developer who's basically working on you know, the gamer stuff or the international game series or whatever it is. And then they essentially deliver these completed games to MMP. Obviously, there's interaction along the whole route, but for the most part, that person is in charge of that particular line with the ultimate goal that they're going to deliver a completed product to Brian to sell. Yeah. So, And as much, I think, as, as Perry and Brian are in, insane ASL people, you know, they realize that between... Their, their jobs, their lives, and their running of this company, which was getting bigger and bigger, they just simply didn't have the time to really put into ASL what they wanted it to get. So I think I kind of got there at just the right time, and, you know, they were they were amenable to the idea that, yeah, this, you know, maybe this is a good idea. Um, maybe this is a little bit more than we can really do on top of all the other stuff that we're already doing. So mm-hmm. Yeah, it seemed... I don't know, really strange to me that could, wasn't the first game line they had purchased been the ASL product line? Well, they don't they don't own it. I mean, they got the right... They oh, are right, from Hasbro. Hasbro. And then, yes, that's correct. And, you know, the thing about that is it... Uh, who knows if it will happen or if it even... Uh, it certainly it could happen. I mean, Hasbro is a giant, you know, and as far as the money that they make off of MMP for ASL, I'm sure it's a complete drop in the bucket relative to, you know, the 50 million copies of Battleship they sold last year or whatever. But, you know, Hasbro could, for whatever reason, pull the plug anytime they wanted. And if that were the case, um, you know, MMP as an ASL company would cease to exist. And wow. so, they, you know, they, they wanted to they wanted to stay in business. And so that's why they... You know, they, they diversified. They started taking on other game lines. You know, Dean Essig, when, who was the owner of the Gamers, I, I don't know the details of the arrangement, but, I mean, basically he, he wanted to continue to create Gamers line games, but he didn't really want to own the company anymore. And he went to MMP, and they were, you know, they were open to that idea. So now Dean is essentially the Gamers developer for MMP, and they've just branched out into some other, some other lines as well, so... Right, and then those became so consuming that the ASL was kind of getting shoved to the side. Yeah, I think there's just so much to do. You know, this the day-to-day operation is uh, there's always something going on. You know, Brian in particular is the person who's responsible for interacting with printers and, you know, a lot of massive scheduling and contract stuff and, you know, all of that. And, you know, he's got a wife and two kids and a day job and, you know, Perry's in the same situation. And I think they... When they're not at their day jobs, they're pretty much working on MMP stuff. Uh, but still, there's only so much time 
It'll oh, be yeah. some hours now. So yeah, there's not even even enough time for us to play play the games. And it's like there's this large demand for more product, and yet I I have I'm just finishing up uh, the old journal, and I'm glad I'm kind of glad the new one didn't come out yet, so I have yeah. an opportunity to try and finish up all the old ones. You know, yeah, it's kind of an odd you know an odd phenomenon of I don't think it's just ASL players because I spend a lot of time on Constant World with you know all the other war games that are represented there, but. You know the the there's just it's like there could never be enough product to satisfy people, no matter what pace it would come out. Even though, <laughs> you know, you might own three thousand scenarios, and if you're lucky, by the time you die, you've played a thousand of them. Actually, I'm over a thousand already. But <laughs> so, it's, that argument's neither here nor there in a lot of ways. But um, right, um, it's strange that we're but, so consuming about it. And yeah, it's it's kind of yeah. relates to like having it just on your shelf, I suppose. But if if Hasbro could pull the plug, we we should we get you moving. We got to get you working, so we'll probably let you go now. Then. <laughs> no, no, I've been working all day. It's fine. Okay, we're all set. <laughs> so, well, what what does your day look like? A day at MMP. What does that look like? Well, you know, now I'm uh, I work from home, yeah. so uh, we've kind of converted the half of the basement, which was kind of my game room anyway is now the, quote, office, unquote. So we'll see at tax time how well that goes over with the uh, the tax man. But um, we've been following all, all the rules, of course, so hopefully it'll all work out. But basically, um, you know, we have two young children. I live with my mother and my mother-in-law in addition to my wife. Everybody's smiling at that one, I'm sure. <laughs> yeah, actually, I was. Oh, no. Oh, no. <laughs> oh, no. None no, of that. No, no, not at all. You know, for the most part, it's... Our son, who's a little older, is in preschool. He goes off to preschool. My wife goes to work. And then I, I stay with the baby until 9 o'clock usually, and then I swap with uh, one, of the, one of the grandmothers who takes over. And then, um, you know, a typical day like today, I work, you know, seven or eight hours. Today I happen to be getting ready for winter offensive, which is coming up this weekend. So I'm printing a bunch of maps and making sure we have certain scenarios that we're going to use for uh, – mini tournaments and things that I want to play test there. But then I took a break, I took a break, quote unquote, and worked on uh, acapella for a while. Yes. Um, you know, now that journal eight, which was kind of the major goal for me for the first couple of months, the idea was to get it out for winter offensive. And it's, it looks like it's going to make it supposedly it was actually printed today. Oh, um, hmm. so yeah, they were actually supposed to print it on Friday. <laughs> a company in uh, West Virginia, and they had a big snowstorm come through on Friday, so nobody could actually get to work. So apparently, oh. actually, we're going to print it today. They're supposed to ship it to MMP tomorrow, and then Thursday is the first day of uh, Winter Offensive. So, you know, nothing like uh, a, a last-minute beautiful entry right there, if that's yeah. what... That's down what to the wire, down to the wire. Very so, exciting. Yeah, so now the, uh, you know, I've basically been done with Journal 8 for a week or so, it's not like it's the only thing I worked on for the last two months, but it was probably 75% of my day just because it was just a real goal for me to get, you know, one thing out as soon as possible. And the journal was the obvious, the obvious thing to do. It's one component, you know, it's just the magazine. There's no counters or boxes or charts or any of that stuff, which is just a lot more complex and winter offensive. Ideally, you know, it'd be a nice time to release some, some new stuff. So, right. Uh, we'll get the journal back on a regular publishing schedule. Um, it's been over three years since the last one came out. So. Is it? Wow. Yeah, I think it was like August of 2006 or something. Um, and for the most part, you know, we had been playtesting the scenarios, but we had been done with those for probably two years. But 
none of the articles which had been submitted had, you know, nobody really had any time to deal with them. So they had not undergone any sort of editing or, you know, there was no graphics work. It was completely raw. So that was a real kind of an eye opener for me uh, just to start that process of essentially being the editor of a magazine, which is not something I've ever done before. Although in a way, my old job really lends itself to this because a lot of what I used to do was essentially project management. And uh, some of it is, you know, strangely uh, similar as far as dealing with designers and timelines and budgets and that sort of thing. So Mm -hmm. uh, that's all kind of played in very nicely. So anyway, back to the uh, pre-digression, which was uh, I worked on Hacapella for a couple hours today. Lars, you guys had Lars on last year, I believe, right? Lars Turing. That's right. Yeah, yeah. And I'm playtesting a lot for that. Well, uh, I think it's a lot. We're all back and forth right now, just trying to finalize like what the counter mix is going to be. And, uh, they're just getting the last of the scenarios to me. Um, so I'm working on a kind of a, a components list slash checklist of, you know, what, what's, what all the pieces parts are going to be, what sort of timeline they're requiring, you know, everything from, the box and the box art to uh, sazzle charts to what specific counters are going on, what sheets and how many of them are there, you know, chapter H and blah, blah, blah. So can you either confirm or deny the rumors that there is a Kleinschmidt counter? None of the counters are as yet named. So, well, I could send you 50 bucks. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Can you be bought? Oh, absolutely. (laughs) You know, but I've been on a campaign for a while with this. I, I, I must say, one person said, Dave, you have to earn having the counter. And I didn't respond then, but I do run a monthly club and have introduced many new members to ASL. We do this podcast, and I am actually playtesting. If anybody's HP. worthy, it's you. Yeah. And he's not above he's not above begging. But no, no, I'm not above not at begging all. at all. And but I know you're going to say there's going to be no German counters. But I, I might make a nice fin too. No, yeah, but they you know they always take uh, names and sort of uh, adjust them for whatever nationality the counter is. So you know, I, I don't know what the fin iteration of your name would be, but we'll work on it. <laughs> and my uh, playtester friend is is uh, Timonen, and that is actually. Oh, Finnish. see, that's perfect. Yeah, that's perfect. That could be actually, but, well, um, well, just but, let me know. You know, if you don't want to be a six plus one, just tell me that. But. Yeah. <laughs> Let me know your preferred rank. I'll see what I can do. Well, <laughs> we invited all the, the listeners to write in to start an email campaign, MMP, and I, I think they probably got one. One, email. yeah. <laughs> yeah, we know, we know one guy. exactly where it went, too. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my. So right now, that's kind of the day where, you know, in a perfect world, there are so many projects going on that I, I imagine I'll always be, uh, you know, one thing will always be sort of at the top. You know, the goal for me is to hit three or four things a day so that everything is, you know, moving ahead steadily instead of the journal. The journal experience was, in a way, I think, an exception because I I don't want to. It was an exceptional situation, so it wasn't a big deal. But I I certainly don't want to spend 80 percent of my time on one thing for two months straight. You know, there'll probably be periods where I'll be doing that, but not for months at a time, you know. Yeah. Yeah. Can you so, tell us what, what will be the top project once the journal is done? Um, HP, right? Well, that's certainly, that's certainly one of the ones for this year. We're mostly done with uh, what will be the, the new PTO module, which will combine the Japanese, the Chinese, and the U.S. Marines all into one giant honking box. Yeah, it's going to be massive. So we have all the scenarios chosen. 
Most of them have been laid out. Most of the counters have been laid out. We've got a little proofing to do on some of the maps, but that will be that should certainly be on pre-order this year. Again, it's you know it's I think Lars alluded to this when you guys had him on your show. It's like until you actually start doing this stuff, you have no idea how long even this <laughs> the tiniest task seems to take. I mean, you spend all day staring at a rule and you come away with you wrote one line that you're happy with, and that seems like a a major success. So. Um, yeah, especially when you're kind of working in isolation. Well, I assume you bounce ideas off other people, your yeah, players. Yeah, I mean, in particular, Perry is definitely the uh, you know the final the final arbiter of all things written. So he he and I go back and forth a lot, or particularly if we're dealing with a certain designer. You know, Lars and and Tuomo right now for uh, HP. Uh, Bill Cirillo, we're doing a lot on the Budapest Hazel now, which is basically done. And so Bill is very active. He's he's been really involved with that project for a long time, anyway. But you know, uh, Charlie Kibler is painting the maps, so there's a lot of back and forth right now about how to do certain things on the maps. And he and I've been he's running a little mini tournament at Winter Offensive, so he and I've been in touch in the last couple of weeks, basically going through you know what those are going to be and what kind of format. And then <clears throat> in the bigger picture. A lot of the scenarios in Budapest are these enormous things that have, you know, force selection and all sorts of stuff where very difficult to fit on one scenario card. So we're going to have to come up with a kind of a method for how we're going to go through these scenarios because probably half of the scenarios will take up, you know, the equivalent of two cards. There's so much stuff on them. So just an extra step in the, in the layout as far as how we're actually going to deal with something. Oh, where did I go from? I wandered away from the what I was going to say, though. While while you're thinking, lots I'll, of stuff going on. <laughs> yeah, no, yeah, no sounds kidding. like it. I'll, I like to jump back to the Hakapella. Um, I think we just got the last batch of playtest scenarios for that. Yeah. And so, and I had asked um, Keith if if he felt. I know that Dave and I were playing a lot. We got like twelve, you know, plus uh, playtestings in right away, and then hit a period where we couldn't get together for, like, two months. Right. And it just went dead. Do the playtesters ever slow the progress down, or do you have enough of them that it keeps rolling? Well, there are never enough. I mean, you know, the thing nowadays, too, is that there's so many third parties, and, I mean, everybody's involved. I mean, to, just today I noticed that, um, you know, Chaz Smith from uh, Bounding Fire posted that, you know, they need some guys to work on some, some uh, campaign games, you know, which is the worst of all. I mean, Punching out some scenarios is a lot of work, but it's relatively speaking, it's a you know a, a small contained sort of a thing. I mean, by right. the time you get to putting out a campaign game, it's just you know the amount of work that has to go into them is just, it's mind boggling. I mean, so one of the things that I tried to do when I started with the action pack thing was to sort of get a core of playtesters who've been really great. You know, and we do we do some stuff in house, obviously, but for the most part. You know, that's what it's all about is having the people to do the playtesting, having someone to coordinate them. Um, I don't know if you guys remember, but several months ago, Steve Anderson, who's also been involved in the HP playtesting, he basically ran a tournament in, uh, I think he lives in New Hampshire, where he had a, you know, a Hacapella playtest weekend, and he, had a, he made a whole tournament out of it, and he had all these guys come over, and, you know, there were prizes and all this stuff. I mean, it was just a way to sort of get things going and, and get a lot of work done in a, a small period of time. So I think that's the real, uh, 
that's the real issue is there, you know, people only have so much time and some people don't want to play test at all. I mean, you know, you guys have done it. So you play the same scenario eight times in a row. I mean, that, that works for you, but not for everybody else who would rather just, you know, play a quote finish scenario and then play another scenario and, you know, not go through the steps that are involved in play testing, which can be a grind, you know, it can be a real, a real drag. So, yeah, right. But, indispensable so what what can you do without those people you know we just had um when i first started you know full-time quote unquote we had the uh the pottery i think it's slaughter at pottery is the proper proper title but you know there's one campaign game in it which is really big i think 10 scenarios the campaign game had basically only been played by one group so when we we realized that it had a long way to go i mean we got two groups going on it. One of them has essentially dropped out, though, after the first campaign day, which took three months. Oh, <laughs> uh, there were there were five guys involved, two pretty big maps. They had split up into teams, so you know, really to play test it properly, there has to be two players per side. Uh, they you know they had to make a bunch of counters because there's stuff that isn't in Beyond Valor that will have to come with the you know with the hassle trenches and wire and all this stuff i mean they you know they put a huge amount of work into it it was this group in italy is this the budapest game no this is the pottery the slaughter at pottery which is going to be uh the historical module yeah yeah pete shelling design and don petros don's done the uh the map and the the campaign game and pete shelling has done the scenarios okay i haven't got word of that one okay oh, okay so sorry i thought you <clears throat> thought you knew what that was it's been in the works for for a while uh, it's basically the one of the Kursk, the Kursk battles, um, but like I said, the CG is just it's just gigantic, and it sounds like that. I'm not sure how it's going to turn out for our, our Italian friends, but uh, one one of the players, you know, life intervened and he got really ill, and another player, there was some something going on in the family, and he was the guy who had volunteered the play space at his house, so you know, it all just kind of fell on its face. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, they put all this work in for three months, got it all set up, played the first date, and then they're done because, I mean, hopefully they're not really done for a long time. But Right, but, yeah, um, that, that is an example of how things yeah. could slow down. Just a huge amount of work. We have, there's another group in Colorado, four guys who are playing it. They just finished the first date, you know, found a huge amount of rules, issues, and holes and stuff that we're, we're dealing with now to try to figure out, you know, how we rewrite them. I mean, make make the uh, problem areas go away and then they can, they can move on to the next, the next date. But that, that's why you see, uh, you know, I won't say so many, but there are a fair amount of, you know, third party products that are released with like a historical map, but they have no campaign game. And that's because the amount of time that has to go into them is just, it's, it's almost not worth it in, in a sense as far as how much money someone can make off of them. You know, you can punch out something that's got eight scenarios. That's one thing. But if it takes two years to play test a campaign game, you know, I mean, that's not not some. It's just not something that most people are going to be predisposed to doing. You know, I know Jeff gets exhausted just with a nine-hour Sunday game. Oh, yeah, yeah. It's, just, it's, <laughs> I mean, it's really a commitment. You know, it's really a huge commitment. So yeah, and I don't, I don't do campaign games. I did, I did one. We finished from Conf Group and. And then uh, another another one. We just I, I was overwhelmingly lucky in the first day, and the guy just gave up. But uh, yeah, I, I just can't. Do, I'll play test other stuff though. But <laughs> yeah, 
Well, it just takes a group that's really dedicated to it. I mean, and there aren't very many that are smallish. You know, there aren't there aren't that many that you could do with you know you and a friend in two months or whatever. Um, we're also working on uh, there's a a release. I don't know if you guys know Jim McLeod, who was a Canadian ASL player. He he died I think last year. He had been uh, working on a, a a hazel covering the Battle of Ortona in Italy. And okay. It was, the Canadians against uh, German paratroopers. Uh, you know, it's called Little Stalingrad, basically a sort of a dense urban battle. He had submitted that to MMP some time ago, but it sort of fell by the wayside. And uh, you know, now the gym is gone. It's been a it's been a challenge just to figure out where the project stands. I mean, I have you know ten scenarios, and I have a can three campaign games, and I have what I thought was a finished map basically uh, had to try to summon, uh, you know, people who had playtested, you know, five years ago to sort of give me their impressions of where it was. Uh, Jim had done a really good good job of organizing what he had, but there was no, you know, I mean, you know, who thinks they're going to die when they're 45 years old? I mean, he didn't write down a summary of this is where everything is and this is what it needs. So there's been a little bit of, uh, you know, detective work almost trying to figure out where the project stands. And then I say, uh, you know, thought we had a finished map. Well, we made a discovery that there was an earlier playtest map that had a whole bunch of row houses on it that aren't indicated on the new one. Oh. And, uh, you know, probably something that Jim knew, but nobody else knew. So we have a group in Southern California playing one of the campaign games. And then uh, Steve Linton, who's in Australia and has a group there that he plays with regularly, he's running through the scenarios one at a time basically to try to figure out where they stand. But, you know, these guys played for a month and a half before we made this discovery, and now we're able to go back and sort of change that and get them going on the right track. So, But this is just all about the project seems interesting enough and is something that people will, will want to buy that, you know, it's worth it to try to figure out where things stand and then to, to kind of finish it off. So it seems like it's in good shape as far as the balance is concerned. Uh, but for some reason, there was no. This one map was never completed, and I don't. I don't know why. You know. You know. Speaking of balance, I would like to go back to the more of the products coming out. Obviously, since this is our, a big chance to to talk to you, sometimes people think that some scenarios are not balanced when they get published. But with all the playtesting, it just seems amazing to me that that would be the case. Do you have any personal take on that from your own experience, or? You know, obviously, I mean. We certainly don't put anything out that we don't think is in good shape that way. And then, you know, two years later, you look on Roar or whatever, and you're like, good God, how is that, you know, 2 and 19? I mean, how did that happen? So, Right, because when it comes through the playtest, it's like close to 50-50, right? Well, that's the goal. I mean, typically, you know, one side is probably winning all the time, and then, you know, you try to go in the direction of the other side, and hopefully you don't go too far and mess it all up, but... I mean, I guess I would say that, uh, you know, it's it's like errata. I mean, when you have 40 people proofing something, it's not the same thing as the 2,500 people who <laughs> are proofing it after they buy it, you know, and find something that you missed or you know, that the original batch of 40 missed. I mean, I don't know. I guess it's just all about interpretation by the playtest coordinator and, this, you know, the kind of the skill level and the dedication of the playtesters. I mean, it's all that stuff combined, but ultimately it's the, you know, it's the company's decision as far as uh, what the final version of a scenario is, for example. Yeah, because uh, Dave and I had playtested a tank battle for HP in which 
we sat and shot at each other, and, and then, um, you know, Lars came back right away with, okay, this isn't going to work at all, everybody. And because, you know, all you had to do was run your vehicle into the hex of the opposing vehicle, right, right. and freeze them up, and then run your vehicles off. And, and I'm like, well, shoot, you know, I didn't even do that. So I could see if nobody did that, everyone, it might get published with a 50-50 record or something. Exactly. And, I, you know, I mentioned Steve Lynn before, who's a really great player in Australia, and he's a very dedicated playtester. We had a scenario that's in uh, an upcoming action pack where um, – basically a situation where there's a, a supply drop and uh, these uh, British troops are waiting for these supplies to drop and the Japanese magically appear and it becomes a, a battle about the supplies, essentially. Whoever wound up with most supplies won the scenario. Yeah, it sounds good. And he immediately, you know, tries to figure out a way to break it. That's his goal. I mean, what can I do to make this <laughs> this victory condition not work? So he grabbed all the supplies and he went and hid in a bunch of bamboo and it was impossible for the other side to win. You know? Oh, okay. He he had sort of the you know the mojo of taking a look at a scenario and coming up with a technique that was basically unbeatable. And then we have to come back and go, okay, how do we stop that? Right, right. And what it turned out to be in this case was we also added in some some hut control. So the the VC was not simply based on the control of these supplies. It was based on a combination of control of supplies and so many huts. So you could run off with the parachutes if you like, but you were going to lose the game because you were going to leave these huts unexpo- un, you know, uncovered. And Correct. the Japanese could run in and grab those. So Yeah, that's a good example. You know, it's too. a point-counterpoint thing where ideally your playtesters are trying to do that. You know, They're trying to sabotage. For lack of a better term, they're trying to sabotage the playtest and figure out a way that the scenario might actually be broken. And then you have to come up with, whether with the designer or whoever, uh, come up with a method to sort of counteract that. So, but it's, At some point, I mean, I, I suppose the, each scenario is based upon an, an actual battle. Yeah. As you're going through this balancing back and forth, you get further and further away from that, but... That doesn't become a, a limiting factor, does it? Really? No, I don't think so. And I mean, some—it's amazing. Some scenarios require very little work, and some you just kind of, you know, hammer and hammer and hammer, and for whatever reason, they just don't get in line. I mean, we've we've certainly cut scenarios for that reason. And the other ones, you're almost the ones that work almost immediately with very little change. You're like, what, am I doing something wrong here? You know, because it's it's sort of a surprise. I mean, some designers. Um, are probably a little more, you know, prone to provide you something that's provide you with something that might be a little more balanced right off the bat, just because, uh, you know, they're good designers or they have a good instinct about it or they've, um, you know, they've they've done enough playtesting of their own before they submitted it that you don't really have to do a whole lot of work. So those are always great to have those because you just, you know, you can scratch those off the list and move on to the, the trouble children. You know, just the fact that MMP has you as a full-time, full-time person, yeah, uh, bodes well for a squad leader. Well, I mean, we to hope me so. It means that there's, and I think you know, to to answer your questions about timeliness and where's all the stuff. I mean, that's the answer too. Is that you know the fact that they came up with the money and made the made the leap to hire someone is an acknowledgement that there was an issue. You know. So, yeah. I mean, it's it's 
it's very exciting to me, obviously. I mean, I'm trying not to be too Pollyanna about it because I know there's a point where I'm, you know, I'm just going to do everything I can do. And then it's up to MMP with, as far as what they do with it. Um, I don't, I mean, I don't make those decisions, but the flip side is I feel pretty involved in what's coming down the line. And obviously I have a pretty big impact at this point on how quickly that might happen. So certain things are at the mercy of just the MMP production world, which is, you know, their goal is always to have something being built and something being shipped. You know, we, we don't want the office to ever be static for any length of time. So hopefully between ASL and all the other game lines, you know, somebody is delivering something on a more or less regular basis so that Brian can, you know, gang print things together, which financially is better for the company. And then, uh, you know, you get a component here and a component there and a component there, and then eventually you have a complete game, and then you just have to fit it into the schedule of, you know, where is this one going to get built and shipped? And then what's the next one that's going to get built and shipped? And so on and so on. So anyway, that was a long answer to a short question. But <laughs> it's well, very there's... complicated. <laughs> I, I can believe it. it just uh, so listening to you talk about the play testing. I, you know, yeah. So I'm trying not to get too overwhelmed because there's already so much, so many people to keep track of. It. But, you know, people have been great. I mean, um, I, I think, uh, I think I am fairly well known among a certain circle of people and have a, you know, a reasonable reputation that when I reasonable enough reputation that when I contact somebody, I actually get an answer out of them or they're interested in helping or whatever. So, you know, I mean, it's a game about people, you know, so that's the whole, yeah. it's the gaming experience. Just in hearing you talk about the, the network of people that are just involved in the play testing, to me it sounds like a lot of people involved in that whole thing. Do you have any sense of how many people play squad leader? Uh, you know, I don't really. I mean, I'm not sure. Uh, maybe MMP guys could make a guess on sales and that sort of thing. But, uh, <laughs> you know, you, you find out that there, there seem to be a lot more players out there than at first glance you might really suspect because I think we think everybody's on the Internet, you know, or everybody knows all that stuff. And, and I don't. I'm, I'm sort of learning that's not really the case. No, so. right, that's not the case. Um, I I don't know. I would guess worldwide maybe 5,000, but I don't know. It's a complete guess. Yeah, I, that was kind of – that, that was a number we came up with too at one point. Yeah. I mean, I know that, you know, I, I try to do ASLOC every year, for example, and a lot, of the, a lot of the same guys come from overseas or, you know, they come every other year because it's a pretty big trip. I'm, I imagine it's fairly expensive when you're – flying from Australia and spending a week in Cleveland. Um, but I, I don't tend to see, of that group, you know, I don't tend to see a lot of variation. I see more or less the same guys come year after year. But I know that there are, you know, there are a lot of players in Australia or there are a lot of players in Sweden or whatever who never make that trip. And as far as the states are concerned, I mean, goosh, I have no idea. I mean, I can't even begin to, to guess how many people would be here or so who play the game. Yeah, I know there are people who play who don't buy anything. You know, they just use their friend set. Yeah. It'd be hard to gauge for sales. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it takes two, you know. Doesn't mean both people have to own it, I guess. And that's, I guess that's one of the things about Basil, too, you know. You, You can, you don't have to own a whole lot. You can own the rule book. I mean, you need the rule book for sure, but, you know, otherwise, if you have the scenarios and there's plenty of stuff available, 
Um, you don't really have to have all that much in the way of components, probably. But <clears throat> I don't know. Do you think this hobby is uh, growing or shrinking? Yeah. And did you did you just sign up as the band leader on the Titanic? <laughs> <laughs> oh God, I hope not. I, I, you know, it's funny because I I think it's really growing. Um, which, trust me, the band leader on the t- Titanic thing did go through my mind. Um, <laughs> You know, I see a lot of the same people who are thankfully aging at the same rate as I am. Um, but I also feel like there's a, a decent enough influx of new newer players that uh, I don't think that's my imagination. I think that's actually a concrete thing. Mm-hmm. So, uh, you know, between the starter kits and a lot of guys who, you know, probably played same story as us, you know, they started in their... 20s or whatever and then you know they had families and whatever and now they're coming back to it in their 40s and they're really mad that they sold all their equipment because they can't get it anymore for a reasonable price or whatever yeah Uh, it's uh, i think we'll never know how many people bought the starter kits and then actually have had or will make a transition to asl versus you know how many bought it because it was squad leader light and that's what they wanted to play and that's what they still want to play and either way is fine, but um, I, I don't know that anyone will ever know the answer <laughs> of how many of any of this, how many players there are in this game, or how long it'll the hobby will last. But yeah, I know that a lot of those Euro games are catching on with the younger generation too, so it, they may gravitate toward these kind of games too. Yeah, I mean, I, I think there's always going to be an interest, uh, a group of people who are interested in, you know in a sense, what I find appealing about the game, which is the gameplay aspect of it, number one, but also the kind of the history to the max element, you know, the really detailed uh, military history aspect of it that, you know, I think is probably the thing that sets a lot of ASL players apart is they have, happen to have both of those both of those interests at the same time. Um, otherwise, you could, you know, you could play Risk and get your fix or whatever. Yeah. Some games, or at least elements of the gaming hobby, seem to have gone the way of um, coming out with different varieties of different ways of playing their game, different versions and other offshoot products. So they'll have, you know, they'll add a card-driven component or they'll have, you know, just a card version or, you know, these kinds of things. Could you ever see Squad Leader diverging into some of those other things in order to gain a bigger audience? Or do you think they're uh, always going to sort of stay with this? I, I don't think, uh, I mean, what is ASL? I don't think that's going to take that path. I mean, I think we've yeah. seen variations on this kind of game between, you know, uh, what's the GMT game? Combat Commander? Yeah. Is that what it's called? The one with the cards? I think so. Yeah. You know, and then, of course, way back we had uh, Upfront, and presumably one day again we'll have Upfront. Um, which was, you know, always from the Avalon Hill days was always billed as squad leader with cards. Right. Um, and in and of itself was such a great game to begin with that um, that connection was was nice to have, but it was it was always its own game that way. Um, you know, we we certainly there are so many tactical games now. Um, I mean, MMP's got you know three or four lines of their own. And, uh, yeah, I can't believe they all can succeed. So, well, somebody's buying them. Yeah. yeah. Fortunately. Yeah. I mean, a lot of the uh, uh, the 
the gearing lately has been, you know, I guess people always will buy the monster games because they look good on your shelf or something. I mean, I don't know how many people actually play them, but um, there are so many games now, too, that are, you know, probably more playable in, like, three, four hours as opposed to, you know, eight or ten or one map instead of two. I mean, things that are just more convenient that, uh, you know, these days maybe that's what a lot of a lot of war gamers have the time for. They're not going to buy something that they really can't finish. Uh, exception to ASL players, of course. Yeah, right. <laughs> we have to have everything, so. Now, uh, you're going to uh, Winter Offensive. Oh yeah, absolutely. this is the first big tournament that you're gonna you're gonna be uh, attending as a MMP employee. No, I went to the Albany tournament at the beginning of December. Were you, were you treated any differently than you were previously? Uh, well, there still were no women, which was kind of a drag. <laughs> no, no Tiger Woods thing going on. It's, yeah, oh, that's God. good though. That's good though. <laughs> I make sure my wife doesn't have a nine iron. Yeah. Uh, no, I mean you know I know a lot of those guys. I mean that's one of the reasons why I go there is just uh, I have a lot of friendships in that, in that, that ilk, that area. And, uh, you know, people were very supportive and, um, very glad to hear that, you know, MMP had, had, had done that. had actually hired someone a little mystified as to why it might be me, but other than that, um, so no, I, I mean, you know, I think it was more, uh, I was treated like I would have been treated had I not been, been hired, which was, you know, as if I were around friends, essentially. So, yeah, so we'll yeah. see how this one is. This is a much bigger event, and uh, a lot of the guys who will be coming to this are, you know, the DC Conscripts, for example, which is the local, the local club, and um, some of the people that are that are in this area, I, I know pretty well already. So, um, but this will be my first MMP event, quote unquote. You know, so I'll set up my table in the corner with a bunch of stuff to play test and see if anybody wants to drop by. Are there any? You ever see any celebrities or, um, you know, political or otherwise playing the game? Do you, do you get people from the Pentagon? No, not know, that I've ever seen. Yeah. No. We have a bunch of, a bunch of the guys in the DC group are, you know, in the, are in the service. Um, so they, they might know someone, but I've certainly never seen anyone. Yeah. Didn't have Donald Rumsfeld or anything. Oh, okay. The, um, I'd like to jump back. There's also Korean module. That's correct. That's right. A listener wanted us to ask you about that, so we promised we would. Is this that- is what I can tell you. Um, it's been under development for many, many moons now. I'm not sure how long. I mean, it's. I think it starts way back with uh, Mike Reed, who was who had a Korean module for. Uh, what was the company? Uh, I can't remember what they called they called themselves. Um, anyway. It kind of fell by the wayside then, and then now it's morphed into this. So there's a very active, independent group that's been developing it for quite some time. Um, and I spoke to one of the guys who's in charge last year. We basically agreed that um, they were going to submit it to MMP in, like, mid-2010, that they were basically done with the rules. They, there'll be a bunch of boards. You know, they're still, they're still uh, fudging some of the counters a little bit. Um, but that was the goal. And it's, <laughs> I think in a way he felt like they, you know, take it away from us because we'll never stop playing with it if you don't. <laughs> right. Yeah. A little bit of the sense I was getting out of it. Um, but they've been very dedicated. I mean, they put in just, oh, my, I can't even imagine how much work has gone into this module. So 
it's you know it's going to be it's going to be huge. It'll have UN troops. It'll have red Chinese. It'll have you know uh, Republic of Korea troops. I mean everything. It's just going to be gigantic. So so hopefully by the time uh, we get it, you know they have one one person in particular involved with the project who's done a lot of the artwork. Um, so if we can't use that, I'm not sure that we will use his specific stuff, but it certainly will be a, a major step towards getting the final artwork done just because nothing beats, you know, a visual that actually looks sort of like you want it to look when it's done. Um, so there will be hopefully a whole step that we'll have to we'll be able to skip over, which will be, you know, what do these counters look like or what does this weapon look like or, you know, whatever. And the maps are already laid out, so we'll just have to have our map artists do them. So I, I would imagine that once we get our hands on it, um, it seems like it's going to be pretty complete. And depending on the, you know, the the situation and the queue at the, that time and where other projects stand, I can't imagine that it would be more than a year or a year and a half out from being published. Because hmm. then we'll have to do all the layout for everything and do a bunch of proofing and, you know, that sort of thing. But uh, it sounds like we're going to get a very complete, fully developed project, which is great. That's the goal. You know, we, we only have so much time to develop things on our own. So I, I encourage anyone out there who wants to submit something to do as much work as you can on it. You know, get in touch with us as soon as possible, but do as much work as you can before you send it in because that is going to be directly proportional to how long it, we sit on it. Right before it can actually come out. I mean, we get all the time, we get, you know, completely raw scenarios or ideas for hazles or, you know, sketches that people have, have, have laid on us. And I, I think people think that we're going to take them and you know, just the resources to make them into a game. <laughs> yeah. And it just, it's just not really the case. So, no. I mean, this, these, these sorts of submissions are made by the people who create them, the ones that actually work. You know, they're they're made by the fan. I mean, that's essentially what it comes down to. Yeah. And then, we'll, certainly, we we'll, we work with whoever it is. But um, you know, you have to start off as the primary developer. I mean, you have to be the one who's who's run it through the ringer and developed it as much as possible. And then, you know, hopefully, we'll be involved. Like I know Perry and I have been. There's a, a Yahoo group mail list for the Korean project that he and I have been subscribed to for years. I mean, we see every email that those guys do, so we know where they're going and what, what they have in mind, and every now and then, you know, Perry will step in and say something if they're if they're trying to come up with a rule or, you know, he'll offer his suggestion. So it's really nice to be part of that that kind of a, a development process. And even before I had the full-time job, I mean, I was involved with them as a playtester, so it was nice to see that it's, it's really going really to bear fruit here pretty soon. Now, well, I'll ask a business question. And uh, do the developers do you do they does MMP kind of purchase that concept from them? Uh, I, I don't know the details, but I mean, what will happen is um, the people who you know who designed did the basically came up with the project, and then did the bulk of the work will be they'll be contracted in some way. Okay, as a subcontractor, I, I don't, I don't yeah. that, I mean, that's something that Brian handles, but. Right, and it would depend on, you know, what they got and all that probably, right? Yeah, I mean, I suspect it's probably a fee, and then, you know, um, if if the module sells X number of copies, you get a bonus. If it sells Y number of copies, you get another bonus, you know. 
I mean, that sort of thing. So it certainly will, it'll probably work out to, you know, two or three cents an hour for what the, <laughs> yeah, actually put right. into it. But certainly it's nice to get, you know, you want to get something out of it. And then I think um, there is a bit of a royalty uh, framework where um, uh, I don't, again, I don't know the specifics of it, but as long as a product sells, if you're the designer, you get a, you get a royalty every year until it's gone or, you know, however that works out. So. Yeah. There is some money, but not much money. Well, sure. I mean, and, like I said, relative to the amount of work that you've put in, it might yeah. seem like a big chunk of money right off the bat, but, you know, it'll just be icing on the cake, I'm sure, uh, above and beyond seeing it actually published. So. And you had asked for, uh, I know in that big, long email you first put out, we read from some of it for the what's in the, the news the news segments. Yeah. Um, you had asked for submissions, right? So yep. people... Oh, is there anything you'd like to say to our listeners while you, you've got them all <laughs> listening? We assume, well, unless yeah. they've turned us off by now. Yeah. Well, you know, I think, I mean, I think there was a period, um, and maybe we're still in that period, I don't know, where, you know, we, we understand that there was a, uh, a kind of a frustration with the, you know, the lack of product that was coming out or is still coming out. I mean, it seems like we're, you know, we're breaking up that, that log jam a little bit right now. Um, but I think... Um, a lot of people who might have submitted things to MMP went elsewhere because you you know people were saying that submissions weren't really ever showing up as a finished product or or whatever or it was very you know very few and far between so i would just say um, you know send me an email or give me a call <laughs> let's talk about whatever you have because we'd love to uh, you know i'd love to find a way for us to be able to do it um yeah, like Catholics Come Home campaign. Well, yeah, I mean, it's, just, you know, the biggest audience that you could reach is going to be through MMP. And if that's, I don't know if that's important or not. I mean, um, but ultimately that's what it's going to come down to. So, you know, I, I in a way, looking down the road, I, I, there are several projects in the works, and they're going to take some time to, to develop and get out. Um, but I can certainly see a point where, you know, Right now, there's not much new coming in, so that was sort of the idea behind that. That one email was the plea, a plea, if you will, for submissions. Yeah, was to just uh, you know let's let's get those projects going because I know there are people out there working on them. So, do, are there any projects in the works or being considered that you cannot discuss? I can't discuss that. I'm sorry. <laughs> you can't even say whether or not you can discuss it. Yeah, of course. Oh, yeah, I, you could say you can't say discuss it. You can't confirm or can you confirm or deny? I can. I can confirm. I can both confirm and deny. Oh, okay. <laughs> there, well, there are plenty of things that. Uh, well, not plenty, but certainly there are some things that were you know we're just entertaining the idea of doing. So yeah. I would I wouldn't really talk about those. But no, because yeah, like there's no. what three versions of um aren't there three versions of the the bridge too far, movie. Well, there's at least two. I mean, I think... Uh, I think there were three. Oh, well, yeah. One, oh, yeah, there's three. That's right. One became the official. One, and Critical Hit did one, and then, of course, Critical Hit did the second edition of the, that one. So. Oh, and there was the um, uh, the guy's uh, Deathelson. Yeah, that's Seed of Battle. Steve and that, but that became the official game, right? I think. Uh, that's right. Yeah, because I have both of them. <laughs> and Parla as well was those guys. Uh, Eddie Zeman and Steve Deathelson, so... yeah. So okay, everybody, get your submissions to Chaz. Yeah, just you know, give me a call. I just uh, we have a one of the local guys, one of the DC conscripts. Um, I was put in touch with him about two months ago because he started working on a, a project in uh, in the Crimea, 
1942 that sounds really cool. So, you know, I basically, he's just beginning. I, you know, got in touch with him. I said, send me your stuff as you're working on it. Keep me in the loop. Let me know if you need something. You know, we're going to. We're going to meet at Winter Offensive. He's going to bring the playtest map. He and I will probably sit down and play through something and, you know, just uh, kind of keep that toe in the water and make sure uh, everybody's having some attention paid to them, you know, if they're interested in working on a project. Is anybody, working on, anybody working on version 3 of the rule book? Only someone very disturbed. <laughs> I, not that I've heard. I mean, oh. uh, I can't imagine that. You know, someone might drop it in our laps one day, and then we go, okay, we'll print that. But, I mean, oh, boy. Yeah. I can't imagine that we're going to commission that necessarily. I mean. And you don't feel like there's a need. No. I would, well, I would assume. Well, all the things that, you know, it would be nice to have an ASL. That's one thing that would be nice to have an ASL. But there's probably 7,500 other things in front of it. Yeah. That are actually going to get the attention. So, you know. We'll yeah, see. I'd like to have a Kindle version of the rule book. Oh, yeah, I was looking at one of those the other day, actually. Yeah. The, not the Kindle version of the rule book. I'm sure that somebody will figure that one out. Yeah. I don't know how to do that stuff. But. Yeah. Well, I've seen people putting them on, you know, Palm Pilots or, you know, I, I, I don't know how you do it, but the way they pack all that memory into those little tiny pieces of equipment these days. Yeah. Is there any part of the game um, that you would change if you could, if you were just, if they said, Chaz, change this? Change something. What do you, you mean? Want to from, as far as the rules go? As far as the rules go, or, or some component, or I don't know. I mean, mechanism. Uh, people always talk about I hate this rule or that rule is unrealistic or whatever. And I, you know, I don't know. I, I always just default to the fact that it's a game and somebody was trying to achieve something by doing it that way. I mean, yeah. I, you know, there's really nothing I can think of that I would. Uh, you wouldn't ban skulking. Oh no. Oh, I've been skulking. Oh no, I'm a fine skulker myself. <laughs> I would never ban skulking. Yeah, I, I can't see it, but I was reading a newsletter from an old uh, that was printed. I don't know, ten years ago, and they wouldn't even print the word skulk in the <laughs> newsletter. They put an S and then some underscores. <laughs> see, you know, I just thought was, and I'm fine with that. I, yeah. I do question the machine gun nest not shooting out of its own hex when the tank comes by, but. I'm learning to play that with that technique much better. So. Well, you can do a Pleva rule. You know, he did the uh, you know, Steve Pleva did the uh, was the tournament director at the Albany <clears throat> tournament this year, and he did uh, he came up with a bunch of ABS, you know, the Australian balance stuff. Oh, right. Yeah. And uh, I don't know if it was this actually. I don't know if it was this tournament or not. But he he has a uh, one of his little SSRs is that you know the tank has to pass a task check to be able to free someone or. You know, just as a way of uh, kind of minimizing the effect of that. So, mm-hmm. but I don't know. You know, it's risky for the tank when you do that stuff. So, yeah, when you know how to defend it, against it. <laughs> but that's what, I'll see if I can kill you. That's all. That's where I like the overrun flow chart. So, um, you know, I can. Oh look well, at, you're gonna love Journal Eight then because it's got a great article in it about overruns. Oh, Google it's, steal well, the information and sure. we'll make it part of our show. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's it's this ten page article that's just oh, it's. You know, on two pages of rules, which is the funny part. <clears throat> so, <laughs> well, two pages of rules in the overrun flowchart, which is uh, pretty heavily, uh, you know, used as a, as a resource for that article. Yeah. So, Carl Nogueira wrote it. It's really great. Well, I'm look, looking forward to seeing that. 
Yeah, hopefully uh, any day now. I mean, it'll ship right after Winter Offensive, assuming everything went okay with the printing. So I haven't heard, but they don't they don't call me. They don't care about me. <laughs> <laughs> I don't write the check, so they don't care. Yeah. I'll talk to Brian. But... Right. All right, well, um, I think that's. I think that'll probably about wrap it up for tonight. We got an hour in here, so. Okay. Uh, any do would you do you have any closing comments or remarks? No, but I was going to say. I mean, if there's any other questions you had, I mean, I can stick around if you want. It's up to you. Yeah. Okay. Well, we'd like to, uh, and, and we'd like to be able to check in with you, you every, know, every every once in a while, and kind of see what's going on over there. And if you ever sure. have something you'd like to announce on the show, you know, you could let us know, and then the next time we record, we'll just link up with you again and let you say it in your own words. All right. Yeah, so, although I think we, I told Keith, too, we'd like to interview him again, Dalton, for, yeah. for the fall, and it's already past winter almost, and we haven't got back to him. Do you think he remembers? He, I think, I'm sure he oh, does. Oh, he remembers. <laughs> yeah. He's well, bitter about it, too. No, <laughs> he's not really bitter. <laughs> All right, thank you. Hey, you bet. Thanks a lot, guys. Thanks, Jazz. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Well, that was nice, talking with Jazz. Super exciting. Yeah. You know, we're out here in the Midwest. We don't get to rub elbows with those East Coast guys, so it is nice to have the the uh, phone call-ins and the Skype and stuff like that so we can talk to Keith Dalton and others. So, uh, yeah, we've never met Chaz, but... Now we have. Do you think you'd recognize him in a crowd? Uh, yeah, he has a picture on his link when you chat. Oh, good. So yeah. I managed to see what he looked like, assuming he put his real picture up there. Yeah, yeah. we really don't know. We don't know. But. Uh, so that was good. We'll talk with him again in the near future. I, I meant to ask him about his name. Is Chaz short for Charles? Do you know? Oh, I do not know. Okay. You check into that for me? I will do so. Okay. And have it for the next show. Wonderful. Well, I guess that wraps it up for this show, everybody. Thanks, Thanks a lot for listening. Thanks for listening indeed. And As always, we appreciate your any of your comments. If you have any, let us know. If you are liking what we do here or if you'd like to hear anything different, just let us know and we will ignore your suggestions. <laughs> yes, yeah, <it's> possible. <laughs> and we still actually had lots of submissions from listeners that we keep meaning to get to. We have yeah. some comedy intro ideas. We have yeah. not from still in a file. And all, a lot of movie review suggestions, which lots I'm sticking of movie all into a file. Yeah. Of course, it would take literally 10 years to get through all those suggestions. But we're, we are sticking everything in a file, and we hope someday to you know, maybe get to some of your suggestions if yeah. we haven't already. Yeah, and we got to finish up this show because we got to start preparing for the next show, which we're recording uh, in a week. So yeah. we're coming out fast and furious. Well, we'll see. <laughs> Try to keep up, everybody. <laughs> all right. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening, everybody. And until next time, remember to... Roll low and rally well, but but not, not when you're, you're playing, playing us. us. Bye, everybody. Jazz is a great guy. Huh? Yeah, great guy. Did you get his address? No. Let's go rob his house. Jesus.